and welcome to Play to Find Out, the Dungeon World discussion podcast from the Dungeon World Discord. This is Arthur, or Art Projects, one of your co-hosts. And I'm your other co-host, Eamon, also known as Voidlight, on the Discord. Now, today we've got another targeted, laser-focused episode. Our topic for today, combat. Is it sport, or is it war? But before we get to that, I have a highlight from a recent game I'd like to share. So, today I'm going to be telling you about the magic item that I've constructed as my sig character's signature item in a play-by-post campaign that I'm in, with none other than my lovely co-host, Voidlight. Indeed. The item is the Antaria Helmet. It is a simple steel helmet with a visor that is so ornately crafted that it could not possibly serve to defend the wearer. But when that visor is lowered, the wearer's transgressions against his deity are hidden. I'm playing a paladin in this campaign, and, I th and because of the composition of the party, I thought it would be really interesting to have a way to dodge accountability for my sins in character. So I'm really excited to see what the GM does with that. You know, it's a big old flag up in the air saying, hey, I can hide, so feel free to make this as challenging as possible and make the act of lowering the visor really meaningful. So that's a highlight for me, sort of an anticipatory highlight in particular that I uh, wanted to share. I think this is a phenomenal item, especially to explore some of the angles of paladins that sometimes we don't get to see. Um there's the the paladin is a class that a lot of people have experiences with as played very flat, um, but as having played in games before with really flavorful paladins, I'm excited to see that you're already gearing up and putting a lot of hooks and places out there that can be used as story holds for interesting moments. I'm very excited to get a chance to uh, to use it. The paladin, uh, the the paladin grappling with their moral code and uh, trying to retain some warped uh, facsimile of it as they're in ever more uh, insidious company, maybe, is a mm. really interesting angle. Well, I'm excited to explore it and play. Let's jump to the adventure workshop for today. Now, Eamon, you're the one that brought this to the table. So why don't you describe what we're going to be talking about? So, for those of you who don't have any prior experience with this debate or this question, I'll try to summarize it in brief. Basically, role-playing games have combat, especially fantasy role-playing games, which if you're listening to a podcast about Dungeon World, you're probably primarily familiar with. Um, it's, uh, for a lot of us, one of the reasons that we come to the table in the first place is to get those interesting uh, fight scenes, to get to defeat monsters, and to see our heroes' cool martial prowess, right? Uh, even if they're the wizard, we want to blow stuff up with fireballs, at least part of the time. And you see this in the books, too. Dungeon World has combat going on right in the cover. So does D&D, &D, and so do, I mean, all editions of it, really. And if you read through the books, a vast majority of the rules are given to arbitrating how combat goes, because it's one of the most danger and risk-fraught fictional elements of the game, and therefore has a lot of mechanics to arbitrate that. Yes, there's but, a reason why every playbook has a damage die and yeah. not a helping hand die. Such is not the case for other RPGs, but we're not concerning uh, ourselves with those yes. at the Only moment. Only Dungeon World on this show. Yeah, well, most of the time. But whether you're playing Dungeon World or some other retro clone or fantasy RPG, the question still remains um, whether you are approaching combat as... A sport where the players are doing it to show their prowess and to sort of show off and to get a just a tactical challenge or as war where you're more concerned with the fictional reality of the combat and here's the difference for some of you saying that that could be the same thing the difference is whether you're concerned with combat being an even playing field or not that's basically the core difference and it's a spectrum i would definitely concede but a lot of times at any given table, you can see in a given fight whether consideration is given to one or the other. Um, in Dungeon World, I think that we are much more um, pushed towards the sport end of the spectrum just given the rules, but not so far as D&D 5th Edition is, which a lot of us are coming to Dungeon World from 5th Edition. And here's what I mean by that. 
In 5th edition, there's the concept of challenge ratings, right? Conceivably, as a GM, you're doing some sort of math or calculations, or at least giving some consideration to, is what you're throwing at the character something that they can handle? Uh, because you don't want it to be too challenging and them to die outright. And you also want, don't want them to steamroll everything they come across. Even in Dungeon World, if you're a GM of Dungeon World, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I think about those things when I'm making encounters sometimes. Mm -hmm. In Combat as War, we don't care about that. In Combat as War, the GM would just put things where they are in the world, and it's up to the players to assess, is this something we can handle? If not, we shouldn't go there. We shouldn't F with this dragon, right, if we're not ready, because we will die. And if we are overpowered for this thing, that's good, because then we'll have an easy time of it. And we know that oftentimes we won't. And so the difference, some people enjoy one or the other, and some and both of them can be done well or done badly. The advantage is um, that a lot of people like, and I think the reason why 5th edition um, and Dungeon World are both uh, at least softly pitching, more hardly in the case of 5th edition, but softly pitching in the rules and baked into the game, this sport approach, is because it's cinematic, right? In the movies, there's always threat of danger, but we know the PCs will likely survive, right? It's surprising when a main character dies in a movie, and the movie's not at its end. We're like, what's what's going to happen next, right? Whereas in a role-playing game, um, that is not as strongly the case, but a lot of people go in with the expectation their PC will live for probably the whole campaign. And that is an idea pushed by combat as sport. Meaning it's going to be challenging combat, but it's not going to be a strictly... Uh, gritty, lethal, Vietnam-style combat like that. Uh, there's going to be high, high death tolls and things like that. Um, and, and one of the reasons why that's fun is the sort of Marvel movie approach where we want to see their abilities in action, we want to see their spotlight, we want to see them do their thing. We want to see the enemies do their thing too. But part of the enemy's thing is to die to the PCs. And so that just ends up happening, and it's pushed by the rules where combats are always inherently winnable. Like the GM it would almost feel like cheating in the mentality, at least of combat sport for the gym to put you in an unwinnable situation or for the players to be in that situation. Whereas combat as war says what's fictionally interesting is the reality of the situation and the, um, the clever thinking that comes from that. Like the best combat in the combat as war approach is a combat that you win before it starts that you only engage if you know you're going to win already, if you have prepared for yourself many advantages in advance, if you're fighting dirty, and if you are going in with all considerations as if you really cared for the life of your characters if it was your own. At the same time, knowing that if they might die, that's also fun, and anticipating those interesting, you know, fantasy deaths and, and how they might come about. Um, Art, uh, I want to check in with you um, on this to make sure just I'm on the right track and and this is all coming across clear yeah so right off the bat there was one thing that you said at the beginning of your uh of your description that i immediately disagreed with and then over the course of your explanation i've started to understand why you said that and came totally around to the other side you started by saying that dungeon world and D fifth edition both push more of a combat as sport angle and i came into this with a little note in my book that i was going to present the opposite that that dungeon world at least is much more is much more compatible with a combat as war approach but then i think you said something specific which was that part of in the combat as sport part of what the enemy does is die and part of what the player does is get us is get in the spotlight and do something cool and not die and that the then the other piece of it is that sort of gameplay balancing part of it where you should never put the player characters into an unwinnable situation as a GM because it's not fair, even though combat as war would empower a GM to do that more. So I really like the way that you broke that down as the, as the chief difference between the two areas. What I'd like to talk about, I think, as part of this adventure workshop is how to strike that balance in our games. How do we make sure that we take the lessons about what's fun about combat as war, that tactical approach, that really high-stakes environment, but couple it with the combat as sport centered on the PCs and their abilities elements that I think we all like to play these games for. I think a lot of this conversation is going to be meta talk, and I have a lot of stuff to say for meta talk um, because a lot of this comes into how you present the game and how it is constructed, no matter what system you're playing in. But in right here in our adventure workshop uh, thing, I want to talk about setting up encounters. Like if you're setting up an encounter 
and uh, you want to go in a certain direction with it, once you've already decided which sort of end of the spectrum or how far you want to go with it, it what are some ways in fiction that we can like push that slider? Um, awesome. So for combat as sport, when we are just wanting to have fun cinematic combats, I think we've already talked a good deal on this show about. I think the assumption in this show is that we're looking for this mo- those movie moments, um, which is which is good and all in the spirit of Dungeon World. And a lot of that previous advice applies. Um, and we've also talked about how you can almost pivot minute to minute in um, in Dungeon World because we're less bound by the rules than empowered by them. Whereas in some systems, if you put something for the PCs, you're going to have... Um, you might have a rough time having to like fudge some rolls or adjust some health if, it, if the combat starts spiraling out of hand. Whereas in Dungeon World, honest, every six minus result is a judgment call on the on the part of the GM for them to decide in fiction, do I want to push this really hard and make a hard move or do I want it to be a soft move? Like you might simply make uh, put the PC into a, a bad spot instead of do a massive amount of damage to them outright and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, additionally, in combat... Um, you can push in fiction uh, effects of things and how you frame a scene. For example, if a PC is on their last hit point and they say, I run up to the person and decapitate them, but the PC themselves is on really low health, you might call for a defied danger for them to do that since they're fighting blood loss themselves, uh, presumably depending on how you're arbitrating what low health means in the fiction. And since they're in a really bad state, if you want the game to be more combat as war, more grittier, you might have to make more con rolls, you know, to defy danger or con to like fight through the pain. Or you might make enemies that, that weaken the players tangibly, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're playing combat as sport, like, that's a great moment for them to simply uh, give them every opportunity to succeed, right, in those odds, instead of making things harder for them. That, yeah, they're on their last hit point, but they're going to wipe out these last five guys that are taking a scratch anyway, you know, and let's make, let's yeah. see that. Yeah. Now, one thing that the combat as war approach really seems to encourage in play is this tactical approach to the pre-combat planning and constructing elaborate traps, preparing defenses and barricades, and just generally setting yourself up with every advantage possible, which is something that in a combat as sport approach, you might not do. And I think there's a weird tie here to our ongoing conversa- conversation about player skill versus character skill that I'd like to, definitely to delve into as well. If I'm, if I'm playing and I'm the fighter, I won't necessarily know that the best place to hold off these goblin hordes is at this particular choke point and that we should set a fire trap here, here, and here. I, as the player, won't realize how much I can plan for it the way that I will as a player while I'm actually engaged in the combat and thinking, boy, it would have been great if I put a spike pit here when we, were, when we had the time earlier. And so I want to pitch one option that we have as GMs that we can bring to our table. It's to, again, steal something from Blades in the Dark and get flashbacks in the mix. Letting the fighter flash back and say, yes, I set up a spike pit here two hours ago because I anticipated this exact moment is a really great way to bridge that player skill, character skill divide where the character would definitely know to do that. Or maybe they wouldn't, but probably they would. And the player might not realize it until the moment, until the moment of combat when it would become relevant. So that yeah. means we get our sort of tactical combat as a wartime activity that really feels like there are stakes, but also gives the players more tools to deal with it than rather than just the moves that are on the character sheet that you can make right now. That's, yeah, and that's the type of mechanic that um, tries to create that happy medium, and I think is a very good one. Um, the, the truth is that we just can't escape from uh, player skill versus... Uh, character skill and we're going to be straddling both i don't think that trying to pursue purism in one or the other direction is a good approach at all even but we will get into that more more later um i i want to focus especially on an adventure workshop here on what are the good elements that we want to take from combat as sports and definitely incorporate into our games and what are the things that are good about combat as war that if we aren't already doing we probably could incorporate um from combat as sport I think a lot of the things we've said on this show so far definitely apply in terms of thinking cinematically. That's the goal, right? And the rule of fun is the rule of fun and the rule of cool are in effect here, right? If people aren't having fun at the table because of things that are going on in fiction, that's a conversation that needs to happen, um, regardless of what uh, your play style demands. Like, you you got to make sure everyone's on the same page, uh, and what you think is cool is definitely shared around the table. 
um, because doing that is sidestepping the downfall of combat as war, which is adversarial GMing, uh, which we can talk a little bit more in the meta talk about. But it's basically um, if your goal as the GM is to see the PCs suffer for its own sake or to somehow play against them, which Dungeon World is explicitly against. Um, it, it is set up as a collaborative experience, even to the point of asking for fictional input about things that players might not necessarily have a direct purview in from them, right? That you're, you're, it's okay to be sometimes about like, you know, what do you guys think is over the next mountain? And you're not asking that of the characters, you're asking that of the players. Um, although you might want answers uh, that, that relate to the characters. And from Combat is War is, it's fun to make plans. It's fun to get creative and get really inventive when you're approaching combat. I hit it with my sword is fun, maybe the first dozen times, but if we're going to be, you know, playing long-term games and like making a real hobby out of this and like, this is a way that we're going to spend hours and hours with our friends, we want to move past that, I imagine, right? Especially if combat is such a big part in these games. And the same tactic of running up and rolling damage dice until the enemy die, like, shouldn't always work and show signaling to the players like more and more through your encounters that that isn't the case and we talked about this in monster design is a way to make them not just have a harder time of it but have a more fun and creative time of it that they are they're making tactics here they, they're they're trying to hit the enemy where it hurts and not just go the obvious route um video games are this is another lesson we can learn from video games that video games are always this is the golden grail that uh, RPGs and games are looking for is uh, encounters that you can approach from multiple ways, and they they try very cleverly to hide the fact that they're that they're railroading it in video games because they always are because you only have so much even with procedural generation there are the parameters in which you have to operate in we're not limited by that in tabletop role playing games and really we can have the sky's the limit when it comes to any, how an encounter plays out but if you're just expecting the PCs to just approach in a straightforward way and all that's in their mind is that that's what's available to them and that's all you're going to get yeah like we've talked a little bit we've talked a little bit about how balance at the table is about who gets spotlight for how long and have the opportunity to make long form plans and then execute on them is a great way to make sure everyone's sharing in the spotlight even if they're not currently the ones speaking you know the the ranger benefiting from a trap that the bard put together earlier is a really great moment that puts two people in the spotlight together and it's something that we only get if we give players the incentive to treat combat as war as the as the reality the fictional reality that they're working in additionally um to say here during the adventure workshop portion when you're in the fiction, if you play with economies of uh, time and scale, you can get more mileage out of some of these things. For example, if the players are like, we have to solve this right here, the goblins are already before us, the melee's already started, you're taking away some of the elements of preparation, then if they have some means to research things ahead of time, if they have some means to like know about enemies and, and approach them. For example, the thief on his sheet has poisons. He wants to use the poison because he's the thief. And if his only options are coating his blade and hitting people with it, then he's kind of not getting to see the full scope of that playbook. What if the thief is able to poison the goblin's water supply like days in advance? And so when they come to the fight, it's clear that their numbers are reduced. And the thief is like, I did a thing. I'm helping the party by using my dirty tricks, right? Like I'm, I'm leveraging the fact that I'm a master poisoner and I can weaken people in ways I can, I can slip people's throats in their sleep, like all that type of stuff. Like if there's no opportunities to do it, then it, it's just going to feel a little bit more more basic. And and that's a lot of times, um, that's just the fictional background that people are coming from. Like, we don't really see that type of planning and that type of encounter in a Marvel movie or an adventure fiction. We see two people encounter each other, lock eyes across the field, like, oh, it's you. And then they just get to fighting, right? We don't see the the, the rat's nests, the tunnel building, the trap building, the, the poisoning, the, the social negotiations to... A, ally with the person that would have other been your en otherwise been your enemy those are things are much less uh, played up in that sort of fiction but if you have the conversation about your with your players very directly like hey guys think about all these themes you want to explore those i'm going to give you opportunities to do them so make sure that you uh, are looking out for those because it might enhance our gameplay some players are going to jump at that especially if they're coming from more old school games i don't know what your gaming group is like but um it, whether you know it or not um, the assumption of some of older versions of D&D, &D, which is the sort of lifeblood of our of our hobby, and especially Dungeon World's own lineage, 
did not have the same assumptions that we do today. Like there is definitely a difference, not just mechanically, but also in the, how the fiction played out in older RPGs to today's. And so being aware of that will probably make you a better GM and player. I, I think we're ready to probably switch to meta talk because there's a lot of this that's like bleeding into that. Right. I think it's time for us to stop the bleeding and get over to the next leg of our journey here with our meta talk. Today, we're talking about adversarial GMing and sort of in the context of our combat as sport versus combat as war conversation. Let's talk a little bit about what it means to be an adversarial GM, because I think I have less experience playing with adversarial GMs than a lot of people do. And I hope, and any players of mine that are listening to the show can maybe vouch or not vouch, I hope I'm not a super adversarial GM. So, Eamon, what makes an adversarial GM? What really is the uh, the the clear spotlight that shines on someone who is definitely bringing an adversarial mindset to the table? Well, when most people think of this, they're thinking of this image. They're thinking of the person who they're there and they're behind their GM screen and they're out to just flex their fictional power and they want to relish the fact that as the GM they're in control there's a certain personality type that that feeds off that too of, of being like oh man I, I have all the pieces at play and I'm always going to be getting to have the satisfaction of my things going well whereas you as the PCs are going to be foiled at every turn um and that that's the, the kind of the dark side of it and people who like relish from they, they, they might, you might even see things on forums, people saying that like their GM is actually keeping track of their kill count, like how many PCs they've killed. And if they get a TPK, it's like a big moment for them. And the, I think everyone will agree, um, who, who I've ever spoken to in person about role playing and on any of the Discord uh, channels, that that's just, that's not the ideal. And additionally, it doesn't, it's not self-consistent because if you really want to kill the PCs, nothing's stopping you. You have all the power as the GM, even in Dungeon World. As soon as that hard move pops up, you can just say, lava floods the room, you all die, you know, or lava floods the room, make deck saves or you all die. And then just repeat that until they're dead, you know, so that it's not it's not the goal of like, how quickly can you kill a PC? Certainly the the thing that is the ideal, though, if, if you're talking to someone who seems to be an adversarial GM um, and, and who's used to playing older games, though, is that it creates this interesting tension between good type of tension between the players and the GM of trying to outsmart each other, right? The GM presents traps and, and challenges and encounters that he thinks will really challenge the PCs, um, both the characters and the players, hopefully, although we'll get into more about like which targeting one or the other later. But he presents these challenges and the PCs try to one-up him, right? They try to like exploit that in a way that he didn't even anticipate because that's fun, right? It's fun when your players come up with stuff that you never even thought of, right? Um, the, the downside is when the GM like gets upset at this and becomes vindictive somehow or, or has a vendetta to like get back at the PCs from messing up his plan. I, I'm, I'm less interested in that conversation because the easy answer is don't be a jerk, whether you're on the PC side or on the GM side, and more interested in how we can approach the actual mechanics of what's on our sheet and how we roll the dice and things to support and encourage certain styles of play because that's the, the meta element, right? Right. Any thoughts, Arthur? Yeah, so I have a couple. One thing that I enjoy doing just because I find it fun is I I tease like I'm really excited when the players roll poorly, even though in my head I'm totally not. I'm bummed as much as the players are when they roll a six minus and have to, you know, and don't succeed at the thing they want to do. But it can be a fun way to build out that tension and that, you know, oh, the the world is dangerous and we as the players have to stick together and really bond. You know, you can push players to do that by playing like you're on the other side, even though genuinely and emotionally you're not. So that is one sort of meta approach to adversarial GMing, where you pretend to be more adversarial than you actually are as a way to as a way to encourage the players to connect more amongst themselves. And I also, start... I just think it's kind of fun to chuckle sinisterly when a six minus result comes up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely that element where you are the bringer of bad news to the players, and leaning into that, it, it definitely can can be fun. You know, the fact of, like, you get to spell out for them exactly what their doom looks like, that sort of thing. But I want to talk in terms of uh, theory of, like, what we're going for a little bit high level, just sketch that out before I drill down into, like, 
what types of uh, modifiers and things are are advantageous. Um, what's the goal when we're playing a role-playing game um, in terms of this story? Some people would say for the PCs to win, but I, I simply say for the most interesting thing to happen. We want an interesting story at play. That's why we're even using dice in the first place. If it was for the PCs to win, we would be just having pencils and paper and just be writing collaborative fan fiction, just be passing the sheet and just adding sentences and just writing a story, literally. And some people do that with their friends, and that is yeah, fun. The reason fun. we have dice at all is to introduce uncertainty and danger, that even danger that we couldn't think of will be introduced by the dice, that random element, the threat, the uncertain. And that's there because it makes it more interesting, and or at least that's the assumption, shared assumption here. Yeah, my and goal typically in that same in that same vein my goal at the table is almost always to set up a tension and then find out how it resolves as a group together rather than setting up a tension and then just making it tenser and tenser and tenser until eventually everyone leaves because it's too tense and they don't want to be there anymore and also not just letting it stay resolved the entire time with no need to move forward to another resolution point so to give sort of a pithy answer to you know, what is the goal at the table? I think that's that's the approach I take. If the uncertainty is gone, the interest in the game seeps out. And that's that's the core principle. Hey, it's right there in the name of our show, Play to Find Out. Yeah. If we don't have to play to find out, if I can walk into a session and be like, 99% accuracy, this is what this is going to end up as, mm -hmm. then something's going wrong. Um, a, a lot of times that comes in the question of like, do we roll, do we not, right? Um, for example, if a PC has safety and time, and, and space to work, uh, it's not interesting. There's no uncertainty. Let's please move past that as quick as possible or introduce some uncertainty to like get that going. Um, if this door, uh, I, I had a situation once where we were trying to, our party was trying to cross a river and uh, I was a player in this circumstance, not a GM. And there was no obvious threat on the other side. We weren't being pursued. There were no enemies on the other side. We were just trying to cross a river in the middle of a journey to like, get where we're going. And this river ended up being over an hour of play uh. of people, people coming up with just different ways of how to cross it. And the, and the GM calling for a series of roles and those roles failing. And we were, um, uh, and, and even things that were just not even allowed to be attempted because the GM's like, Oh, that's not feasible. Like I was like, can I use, you know, I've got these spells that can freeze things. Can I walk across the water, freezing it as I go? And other people just follow behind me. And they're like, no, because you only freeze a 10 foot cube and that cube become unfrozen when you, when you do the next one and that sort of thing. I'm just like, but I mean, then let, can we just say we swim across and, and have it be done? Because the, we know we're going to get across this river. Like, I know that you don't want to kill us here. There's interesting stuff that I can see. You have a stack of paper there that's planned for us to get to. Why are we wasting our time here? Right? Oh. Like, why are we wasting our time in this river? And sometimes even a combat encounter can be like that, where it's very clear that we're just going to fight these guys and go on. And so if the threat, and, and, and you really have to be honest with yourself as a GM and ask yourself, like, am I just putting this here to, like, slow the players down? Is this kind of an uninspired thing of just, like, they're going to churn through these guys and I don't really know why they're there, but yeah. these guys are there because I felt like there should be some goblins in this room. Like, ramp it up or at least make it more deadly is just an easy way of giving, making there be threat. Right. You know? and, and let's look at both of those examples through the lens of the tension and resolution thing. The bridge cross or the river crossing, the tension in that to me is not, ooh, do they get across the bridge? Because of course they get, sorry, across the river? Of course they get across the river. They build a bridge or they they swim or one of them transforms into a 30 foot long killer whale and straddles the river as a bridge, all possible options. But the tension of the river is when they cross it, is the thing that's following them going to be able to cross it as well? When they cross it, do they have to leave something behind in order to not be dragged under by it? Then, And it sounds to me like in that situation, those weren't the questions that were being asked. Those weren't the challenges that yeah, were being surmounted. We ended up crossing it, everyone full health, no spell slots expended. You know, it just ended up being us making the right checks in the right order. Ugh. Like we, we, we were the exact same fictional state yeah. once we got across. The only thing was we were all more pissed off and, and time had passed in yes. real life. So right? that shouldn't this, be the thing being expended. And let's look at the other example, which is the combat encounter where the PCs definitely win. Well, the tension there is, again, not are they going to win? They do. The tension is, are they going to win through sheer brutal force? And will that have a negative impact on the people that they're on the, the allies of the people that they're killing or the people that they're protecting. What, there are so many other ways to inject tension to that situation and still have fun without making that tension about the victory. And I think 
what we're really getting at here is that if your GM is adversarial and just making you go through it because they think it should be done, if they're not on your side and interested in the same tensions that the players are, then you're going to end up having a worse outcome in terms of getting to that resolution and being satisfied by it. I want to bring it back a little bit to combat, um, especially talking since we are talking about combat as war versus combat as sports, and talk about how uh, we can change or, or not not even not change so much as change the rules themselves, but how we can interface with what Dungeon World presents us with to influence the game in one direction or the other. I think uh, let let me uh, I'll argue for not argue for but suggest for moving it towards combat as war. Um, and maybe you can speak from the other side of moving it. You better believe sports. I will. Okay. So here's what I'm thinking. Um, as presented, Dungeon World works pretty well for combat as sports. Um, and what I mean by that, uh, if you're saying like, how, well, how would it differ from a different system? Here's an example. When a PC is almost dead, they still mechanically function the same. They, they're, they're having low health really doesn't do anything to you in Dungeon World. Um, additionally, you can restore half your health simply by sleeping, right? And and if you have a week, so week of rest, you're, you're good to go. Zero lasting consequences. If you have a debility, those things can also be removed often, but also people don't often use the debilities. Um, and even if you do have a debility, it all, a minus one modifier is not that big. Um, it's, it's bigger than it certainly would be in a different system or if you're using a d20. But because the most common result in Dungeon World is seven to nine, you still achieve your aims very often. And fictionally, that means that threats tend to be resolved before they can lethally harm you. Um, so if you're wanting to challenge the players a little bit more for the good reason of making them think more and making them become more creative and interesting players and characters to challenge the characters, um, go a little bit harder, especially on the seven to nines. You don't have to get crazy with your six minuses and be like, you, you know, you're about to die and stuff like that. There can be that threat but the seven to nines use up more of their resources uh, so that they, they are on their, their last ammo and they have to really consider uh, taking that thing. They're, they have no more adventuring gear because they actually found good reasons to use all of it. Um, and you can also enter into the game if you want to um, get a little bit more in terms of the grittiness of it, more debilities. Like actually have them start taking taking those debilities and, and create enemies that have plausible reasons to, to inflict them. And you could even have low health mean something, right? If you wanted to get a little bit with the consent of your players with that open conversation, you might say that below a certain threshold, they take uh, a minus stability to a certain stat that's fictionally appropriate. Um, and I'll, I want to give a quick example of a system that is already designed to do this for people that might be interested in game design and not uh, not know like why one system be slotted to it more than another. There's a system out there called Into the Odd, there's a free version of it with um, some reduced art, and and but that still has the full rules that I'll link to. But Into the Odd is very much more on combat as war. The PCs don't have a lot of health, and their strength score is basically their health. I won't go super into detail, but basically, like as you're getting hurt, your strength score is going down. So your ability to fight back as you're um, taking damage is weakening and weakening. Um, at, the idea is that. If you're bleeding out, your ability to hit hit back with all your force is 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 really lessening. Additionally, you when you roll to uh, to attack someone, you're just basically rolling damage and immediately dealing that to them. There's no to hit roll if you're in a melee, and um, the the philosophy behind that is that um, uh, misses misses aren't interesting, and that uh, the combats will come to a deadly resolution one way or the other much quicker that way when the PCs are guaranteed to hit, but so are the enemies. And fictionally, that's solved by the fact that the health in that game is more like stamina, which is ability to avoid harm um, instead of that you, we're thinking of this as you getting hit but still being fine. And that is something that definitely can be ported to Dungeon World. If you wanted to, especially given how health is regained so easily in Dungeon World, you could narrate it as being that your stamina and your good battle technique is what health is representing. So even if you're taking damage in fiction, that might be that your PC is just barely uh, avoiding these blows, but they're exhausting themselves. And then once you go, um, once you take that last hit point, you actually got you know a solid sword blow to the chest, and that's enough to knock you out right off the bat, right? Which is what is represented in the fiction. Totally. Now, 
as far as combat as sport is concerned, it's funny that you immediately dove into use up their resources as one way to make it more warlike. Because I'm going to make the same argument, but for more sport-like. But more from the perspective of the... If one of your goals going into a combat encounter is to make sure that the players are not going to lose, or that the if there is a loss, it's due to bad sport and not bad dice rolls or bad uh, bad planning. Using up their resources is a great GM move to take advantage of when you need to just make sure that the players don't die right now, even though there's a six minus that really should have killed them. But at the same time, I totally agree with you that using up their resources is something that you should be really, really active about when you're driving more of a combat as war approach. So it sounds to me like you've got the you've got that pretty much locked down, especially because Dungeon World as a system doesn't always care that much about things like ammunition, making sure that we as GMs care about it when we want to make that, when we want to make the stakes and the consequences real is a great way to drive that point home. Um, one of the ways that taking away resources is different in, uh, if, if you're assuming combat as sport versus combat as war is in sport, you having a resource means you can do a cool thing. Whereas in combat as war, you having a given resource might be the difference between life and death. Totally. Whereas it rarely is in sport. Like, for example, like I might, I, that last piece of adventuring gear, I might be saving and not using it even when opportunities are presenting themselves because I know that when the night comes, if I don't have the ability to start a fire, I might take damage from the cold. Like that is an established threat sometimes uh, in, 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 in games where you are really pushing the lethality of it. Because you want to, the players to understand that this is a dangerous world. Whereas that's not emphasized as strongly in combat as sport. And adventuring gear is, we care more about seeing it used for something creative of like pulling a rope out of nowhere. Right. Like to tie up an enemy. Yeah. And we've also talked a little bit about combat as sport so far as being a version of it where the balance really matters. And where we as GM should go into our encounters with the intention of keeping the encounter going for about as long as we think the encounter should go. And making yeah. sure that at the end of it, the the game is won, quote unquote. Now, one way to do that is vary the things that you as the GM consider to be a trigger for Defy Danger. There are times when I'm running Dungeon World where I will try to like really make Defy Danger part of what's going on because I think that what the players are describing genuinely does trigger it. There are also times, though, when I will miscalculate how hard a combat encounter is when I design it and bring it as my prep and then find out that they've already managed to eradicate it before I've even really gotten a move done. That's a time when I might say, oh, I'm going to make a couple more Defy Dangers happen just so that everyone still gets a chance to be a part of this and so that the stakes are a little bit higher, a little bit elevated. And then there's the reverse of that, where I inadvertently create a combat encounter that is way over the line and don't realize how much it's destroying the PCs until sort of it's too late. And that's when relaxing the conditions under which I have required Defy Danger to trigger and basically reducing the number of dice rolls that happen is a way to lean, to pull back on the throttle a little bit, pull out of the dive of PC health and hit points. Um, one other, oh, sorry, Eamon, do you want to? I had some, I've been, I've been trying to think of a way to make this succinct in all like a metaphor format. And I think that combat as sport is a little bit easier to describe that way. Oh, totally. Because as the GM, and, and Dungeon, Dungeon World is really good about, uh, good about this, which is why this doesn't just apply to the GM, but to all the players. At different times in the game, you're putting on the hat of director, right? As the GM, you're making calls a director would have to make of what's interesting right now. We don't have to run by the same rules all the time in terms of this is, you know, when someone's in lethal harm, we always treat it this way. Sometimes you put up the pressure sometimes you ease off depending on what is interesting cinematically right now because that's what you're going for as a table whereas as a combat as war you have decided that it's more interesting for things to be a little a, a, a grittier is not a great word but that's what i'm going for here and so you're putting on the hat of almost like a trainer or, or a coach or at least a, a teammate that you're you're pushing the, them to make them better and wanting to see them really be challenged and also validating their plans. Yeah. Like if you if you are going to go the combat as war route, you have to allow the PCs to um, succeed when they come up with something. Like you were saying that you're not an expert at military tactics. You shouldn't have to be. 
As long as you come up with something that's interesting and plausible, we should see that get great effect. Like, if you poison the enemy's water supply, the GM shouldn't be like, well, that doesn't do much. Yeah, like, they're goblins. They're immune to poison. You know? is a bad answer in that case. Right. And if they are, like, the PCs need to have other options for what they can do, yeah. right? If they think about flanking the enemy and, and they try that, like, it should ha- go well, or at least have the opportunity to... So that they try it again in the future. Like we want to see them stack up advantages. We want to see them like um, seek out enemies when they're sleeping to kill them in their sleep. We want to see them use like their powerful spells against people that um, can't resist them to just wipe them out. Like and, and as a player um, who leans sometimes towards that, I can definitely say that um, their players will appreciate it if they're of that bent. Like there are sometimes uh, when I was playing fifth edition games where I wanted to use a spell that would just resolve the combat encounter right off the bat, right? Like, if I cast sleep, and I manage to make everyone fall asleep, the GM shouldn't think of some, like, tricksy reason why we can't just kill them now. Like, I I managed to put the entire enemy force to sleep. Like, the rest of my party is benefiting from that. Whereas some people would think that my party isn't benefiting from that, because I robbed them, I stole the spotlight, or I robbed them of their ability to, like, use their devices or something like that. But this is an opportunity for us to... um, you know, to strategize, right? Mm-hmm. Now, to your point about there being a succinct metaphor for what combat as sport is versus combat as war, I'd like to pitch some- something for you. Go ahead. Combat as sport is professional WWE-style wrestling. Combat as war is Olympic wrestling. Or MMA. MMA, also a good good option. The surface-level appearance from an external perspective is a little bit... is 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 comparable with little bits around the edges being slightly different. But the actual experience of participating in it, totally different. And I think whether your table really prefers the the Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Macho Man Randy Savage experience or the knockdown drag out 12 rounds in the ring against a superior opponent approach, there are ways to do both. There are ways to do both in Dungeon World and to and to move the slider from one side to the other as you go. Can I do you one better with that metaphor? Oh, yeah. I'm sure some of our listeners are screaming. I think combat as war isn't MMA because I, that, I, I realize that that is a sport. It's a street fight. Like, it's a real life, yeah. like, you fight dirty. You don't, you, you, you want to pull out a firearm when this guy doesn't have it. You know, you want to kick him in the balls. Right. Like, you, mm. you want this to just be over. So, actually, right? I want to push back a little bit on that layer, which is that we have to remember that combat as war is still bound by rules for the GM and for the players. Like an adversary it's by, by the rules of the game, though, right? Right. But that fictionally, you could you could pull out anything you have on mm-hmm. you, right? In a street in a street fight, the rules that you're bound by are the rules of physics, right? Mm-hmm. In real life, right? But I think that the adversarial GM approach to the street fight is to pull out a gun and shoot the opponent cold, dead in the street. Whereas in in MMA, there are at least still structures that you can rely on being there. You know, it's the poison the goblin water supply um, approach, which is in a street fight. The the poison doesn't work against the uh, you know I've actually lost touch with this metaphor a little bit but the the adversarial GM makes it a street fight as opposed to a bare knuckle boxing or gloved boxing match. Well, you see what I'm saying is that um, you don't have any hands tied behind your back, whereas right. in MMA like you do like you're not allowed to bite you know you're not like what you're not allowed to uh, break their bones like specifically you can't just stomp on their foot mm-hmm. over and over like there's certain things that. Actually, a, a very intricate amount of certain things that aren't allowed, whereas in the street fight, it is just survival. It's all tools available to you, nothing held back. And I think that's what is interesting to people about playing that way, is they're really thinking about their character pulling out the last stop, right? Your character might use the brooch on their cloak as a way to, like, stab an enemy when the, their weapon isn't in their hand and they're in close combat. Like, that's interesting, right? Whereas, whereas you don't need to do that in combat as sport because that situation just doesn't happen. You're never that far against the ropes, usually. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Yeah, I don't want to dive too much deeper on is it like a street fight or is it like uh, you know a sure, boxing sure. match? But I think that from both perspectives, there's there's lessons we can learn. You know, what rules do we bind ourselves by as the GM? You know, when do the gloves come off? When do we pull the gun? These are the questions. But I think I guess the metaphor is already made for yeah. us that sport versus war. So. Totally. Um, but I think one way or another, as GMs, the thing we need to just keep on checking in ourselves is, are our players having fun? Can the players do something right now? Golden rule. Golden yeah. rule. And also, um, is is this interesting? If not, how can I make it? Totally. Fun? You know? 
Am I being a fan of the characters right now? If not, what can I do to show that I am still a fan of them, even though I'm just grinding their noses into the dirt? If the PCs have an epic plan and they're going to save the world, they're going to accomplish their goal, their personal goals, and that's so interesting in the players' minds, they might not be open to failure unless you can think of a way for them to fail that could potentially be as interesting or more. And if you can't, you're you're set up for failure out of game, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you if they fail, whether that's your fault or just the fault of the dice, someone's disappointed. So it's important to say like, hey guys, this is an epic plan, and I'm a fan of your characters as per the principles of Dungeon World, and I really want to see this go well. But um, is is that the only thing that you'll accept? Because if it is, then we're we're setting ourselves up for trouble. Like a PC might die, and then their feelings can be hurt. So have those conversations early and often. That's what I would totally. say. Totally. And then to your to one point that I think you you drifted towards there, the other piece of it is make combat situations where if your players lose, they'll be kind of happy about it. And there's no better way to do this than to give them a really good thing to be fighting against, something that is so exciting and memorable that when they lose to it, it's not a sad encounter. It's a story that they get to tell later. Um, oh, yeah. And that's that one last lesson from professional wrestling that we can bring to the table. Make sure that your heels are as memorable as your faces. Absolutely. I think the, ultimately where the, the battle lines, uh, if I yep, if, if yep, pardon, yep, the, go for it. pardon the joke I'm here, not stop are you. kind of dissolved and we come together is that the reason that people play combat as war is the same reason people play combat as sport. It's to create stories, stories that will stay with us, that will become highlights, that will become picture this is, right? Yeah. That... And, and, and whichever one is going to get you there, you figure it out and pursue it with all that you can. Because talking about how you used something that wouldn't be traditionally a weapon to like narrowly escape is really interesting. The same way as talking about how some big high-flying moment of jumping from airship to airship, you know, and, and stabbing the enemy with a chandelier or something, something weird like that is is cool as well. Like w- the stories that these generate that stick with you um, are the goal. That's how you win in a role-playing game, not just by surviving the session and not just by racking up PC kills. That's for sure. Well, this has been Meta Talk. I think now it's time for us to to take a to take off our GMing hats and put on our picturing glasses with picture this. <laughs> All right, so our picture of this today is another magic item that I dreamed up in preparation for Void Light's ongoing play-by-post campaign. This is the Traveler's Cap. It is a simple leather cap with little ear flaps. It sort of resembles an aviator's cap from, say, World War I-era European forces, if you know the sort of vision I'm conjuring. The wearer of the Traveler's Cap can control and command any vehicle that the player is on or in, or sorry, that the wearer is on or in, as though it is an extension of their own body. The rudder of a sailing ship twists and turns as though it is in the player's steady hand. Sails are trimmed precisely. Horses canter, gallop, and steer as though they and as though they and the rider are of one mind. Even a simple horse-drawn carriage or cart has almost a GPS-like or an, a, an, a self-driving car-esque ability to navigate with minimal focus from the driver. So this is the Traveler's Cap. Mm, see, th- th- that's actually quite a bit more interesting than I, um, than I thought when you, when you first pitched it, simply saying that you can control any vehicle, because I, I didn't realize that it might extend to things like horses and that. And I like the idea that... Um, you can do something like you're backed up in an alley, uh, being cornered by some people, and you can sum- you can call your horse to you, mm-hmm. like Batman would call his Batmobile because of a remote control, and it knows where you are and and seeks you out and you jump on it and gallop away. Like a real horse couldn't do that, right? If it's out of earshot, you're out of luck. But if you're linked to it because of some magic item, that's really cool. I like that quite a bit. Yeah, it's a cool item. Let us know if you if you use it or if you have problems with it. We'll be looking out for that. And maybe uh, if we get an email from you or a message from you, we'll get a chance to read it in discussion on the show, like we're about to do right now with this message from Torin Blood on the Discord. We have the following question. 
What tips and tricks do you have for table management? Specifically, how do you keep players engaged and on task in a live game? All too often, getting players to focus is like herding cats. That's from Torin Blood. Well, Eamon, the question stands, how do we keep our players focused on the game while they're at the proverbial table, especially if we're not all in the same place, if we're playing over the internet somehow? When he says in a live game here, I was taking that to mean um, in person. Um, and I think that's where this question uh, focuses most. Because a lot of times when we're playing online, uh, it's asynchronous. And if you're playing PvP, this this question is actually a lot easier to answer because people are only coming to the game when yeah. they have the attention for it. And it's in short bursts. Right. I, I, I think in person, I want to answer this question in terms of when it is happening, when we are waiting on each other to speak out loud to participate. Um, okay, so I, I'm just I'm just saying a lot of my tips are are from experiences in person. Totally, yeah. Maybe you want to speak to the over you got the it voice chat. Okay, so in person, the first thing is um, know what causes people to get off track or distracted. Crowds sometimes are just simply hard to control. So if your gaming group is looking more like a crowd, it might be important to consider uh, what options are available to you. For example, if you have more than six people. Um, not including the GM, it's going to be rough. I don't care who you're with. With That's just pushing the limits, uh, starting to at least. Um, a group of 10 PCs with one GM is almost untenable. And most people, uh, most experienced GMs would not um, agree to GM for that many people. You can split it into two groups. You can do it multiple days, uh, have two games going running parallel, whatever you want. But that's just, it's just simply too much for everyone to both get their spotlight and be interested while everyone else is talking. Because we're simply limited by the fact that at most, maybe three people can be talking excitedly at once before it just becomes utter chaos. Um, additionally, depending on how long the game's going to go, um, I would say refer to our episode about food. If people are hungry, they'll be distracted, but also if they're eating at the moment, they can be distracted. So depending, uh, figure out when people are going to eat and, and where that's going to be and uh, how that's going to fit into your sort of schedule for the evening uh, or the morning, I guess if you're playing in the morning, is important. Uh, lastly, my last sort of overview tip would be um, phones and other devices, um, those can be definitely good be to have at the table, and you don't want a, this to be a not fun place to be, where it's like a, you know, a convention, um, like like out in the woods, like camping uh, sort of retreats or um, a classroom where your phones are like should have taken from you. Um, although that can be a solution if your group wants to go down for it, if you want to put a little basket in the middle of the table, be like everyone drop your phone in here. We're doing we're doing in person game time now. That's cool. I know. I definitely myself like to look up spells on my phone. I like to have digital character sheets, that type of thing. So just just address it with your players. Be like, hey guys, if you're on Facebook like during this game, that's a little rude, or at least it could be. Um, let me know how I can make the game more interesting for you because I, I want to, right? Like we're all there to make it, whether you're a player or the GM, that can be a good thing to say. I'd be like, hey guys, I want us to be engaged because when we're listening, when other people are talking, we can jump in and, and add devil's bargains right like i'm thinking in in terms of blades in the dark where it's encouraging you to be listening to what other people are saying but in dungeon world you can be like "Ooh, here's something you can try or, or yeah. well, oh i think you, that move right? triggers right now yeah or I'll, I'll i'll defend i'll aid like be collaborative and that that can only be happening if you're the good player who is listening even when you're not the one speaking right totally now of course when you're in an asynchronous game a lot of this stuff flies you know it's sort of a different direction um, do you have any strategies for managing play-by-post attention and focus? Is that does do you find that that really comes up frequently? Just because in an asynchronous yeah. game, there's definitely is um, strategies. Um, one of them is change your expectations. Uh, people, it's it's simply a cultural thing that people are more flighty on the internet, right? You can be talking to someone and they can disappear, and just you can kind of get ghosted. Where you're like, I, this person could be literally dead. I have no idea. They're just they just stop responding to my messages. That happens sometimes, and just be be okay with it, and don't get too too invested. Sometimes that's that's different than in person when your avenues to follow up with someone just might not be there. Additionally, uh, try to when when you are with someone, just try to show them that you are you care, and that you're not gonna turn around on them. Be like, hey, you know, uh, you haven't responded in a while, or you haven't posted in this game for a while, or you seem to 
be just a little terse or like posting less and less. Is there a way that I can draw you into this game more? Is there a way that I can get out of this? Or if you're the player, say like, hey, are you still interested in running this game? I'm getting a lot out of it. I appreciate it. That might give them the motivation to want to go back into it. Because the truth is on the internet, um, attentions are just shorter by default, right? Like people, they, they start things and stop things and they lose their interest. And new campaigns are springing up all the time. Um, and, and so, yeah, additionally, planning games that actually can end instead of just spiraling on forever. I, I definitely want to talk about that in a later episode about like what ending a campaign ideally could be. Totally. Like. All right. Now I just want to cover how to manage the, the similar question during a live, but not in person game, which is a format that I find myself playing in mostly these days. Um, one strategy that I employ as a GM is I... When I swing the spotlight to a different player, especially a player who hasn't piped up in a while, I give a very brief summary of the situation, just a sentence or two, that gives like a clear call to action for that player that fits that player's or that player character's skills. Um, for instance, the the skeletal elephant turns its trunk towards you and bellows a raspy trumpet. Now the as its trunk flies up, you see a small gem underneath it, colored differently from the rest of the skeleton. It's a small enough target that it will be hard to hit, but you could probably get the shot if you want to take it. What do you do? Is a good way to give a player, like, a hint at something that they could do right now, just in case they weren't paying attention and don't already have something loaded, while also not saying you have to do exactly this. Um, so yeah, just in general, making a, you know, giving a player a golden opportunity when they're first being engaged again is a good way to just keep the game going and not have people feel bad about asking, oh, what happened? I'm sorry. I was on Twitter. Yeah. I, I think, uh, the last piece of advice I'd probably throw out there, and this one can span all three, whether you're playing with people on Google Hangouts or through a voice channel, if you're playing play by post, or if you're playing a live game is, um, regular or at least periodic check-ins. Like, hey guys, how are we doing right now? Uh, Energy-wise, are we still enjoying this game? Um, is there any, like, here's here's an open invitation for you to give me any feedback that you might have been sitting on and waiting for a good opportunity to say? You know, if you've got any problems, you can, you can and it, it, you don't have to say them right now from everyone if you don't want to. You can PM me or talk to me, like, in a bit. Uh, and if it's in person, a good way to do that is right after you say this, call for a break so that if someone wants to talk to you privately about anything, if they're like, and that doesn't have to be drama stuff. It doesn't have to be like, you know, so-and-so is being really mean to me. It could be like something about their character that they don't want to waste everyone's time about talking in front of someone else. It might be like setting up an arc or something. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I've never seen it. I'm sure it can be, but I've never seen it in any of my experiences across gaming at all be uh, not effective, at least slightly. You at least, at, at very least, you get people saying, hey, I love it. Game's going great. Thank you so much. You know, keep it up. Keep on keeping on. Totally. So I hope that answers your question. Let us know in the podcast discussion channel on the Discord what your strategies are for dealing with players who are losing focus and making sure that everyone is engaged and on task, especially in a live game. But speaking of being... And keep them coming. Sorry, one more time. I was going to say, and keep them coming. These questions are These great. have been great questions. Now, speaking of keeping engaged and on task, Eamon... It is time, I think, for the two of us to stop engaging with these questions and get off task. So And take a break. So we hope that you enjoyed this episode of Play to Find Out. If you did, please go on to iTunes and leave us a review. It really helps uh, just knowing that people out there care enough about it to say nice or negative things about it is enough to make the Apple algorithms think that what we're doing here is worth sharing with more people. So help us out by going on the iTunes store and leaving us a review. You can also find us at on Twitter at play numeral two find out. And then of course on the official ish Dungeon World Discord where this podcast sprung. On the uh, backswing of that same of that same vein or that same impetus, I want to give a special heartfelt thank you to all of you that are listening to the show currently and have been. It's it's a small community, it's a niche community. But I love it. It's great to see you guys talking on the podcast channel and the Discord, those of you that do. Uh, the couple people that were commenting during our actual play session, our 10-episode special, you guys are great. It's really awesome to like be engaging in this community, and it makes us keep wanting to produce this podcast. Absolutely. So, thank this you so much. This has been a ton of fun, and it's a really great thing to be able to do 
for a really great group of people to check out and enjoy. But with that, I think we're going to call it for today. Thank you for joining me today, Eamon. And thank you for joining me, Art. And all of you out there, be sure to join us next time on Play to Find Out.